And welcome back, everybody, to the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Noah, here with Evan McNeilia and our guest for the first half hour, Tyler Murphy. This segment, we're going to start off with talking about some NBA action now that the season is in full swing. And one thing I really wanted to touch on in this first section is the rookies. This rookie class has been performing stupendously, if I might, if I, if I use that word. Um, yeah, no, this, these rookies are stars already from what I'm seeing. Um, Benedict Matherin, we're going to start with Benedict Matherin, Arizona Wildcat legend. Loved watching him last year ball out in the March Madness and just the regular season in general. But through three games with the Pacers off the bench, he's averaging 24 points, which is among their highest scores, even with Tyrese Halliburton now having the keys to the, the franchise. But, I mean, Benedict Matherin, could, Benedict Matherin should be in that starting lineup, in my opinion. Definitely. I mean, after the loss of uh, Malcolm Brogdon following last season, and, you know, of course, he dealt with some injury in that final year with the Pacers last year, getting another solid shooter in that mix is going to be huge for the Pacers. 6'6", 210 out of Arizona, like you said, did absolutely amazing during March Madness last year, is 25 of 48 shooting with an 11 of 21 from three point in those first three games that he's had so just solid numbers from the field he looks like he can compete at this level in early you know of course teams are going to get to know him adjust to him a little bit but at that same time um definitely adding some offense to this Pacers team that's going to need it with some uh, key departures following last season yeah and I just really want to say what uh what you touched on Evan the 11 for 21 from the threes how the NBA has just been changing the last couple, I mean, ever since the Warriors ever became a team, really, or a dynasty, um, a lot of threes have been taken a lot more games ever seen before. So that's a really big plus to see from him that he can knock down those three-pointers from NBA range. Also, rookies being able to come in their first year and knock down NBA threes consistently right off the bat, it, there's something to say about that, especially since the NCAA has not officially shifted its three-point line as of yet to the NBA range. So not only being in your first year, but having that adjustment to the NBA game as well as a different distance for the three-point shot, being able to be that consistent, it just shows how much these shooters are focusing on that long-range shot throughout their uh, youth and collegiate career. And, and can I just say one, one thing? It just shows how Ben Simmons is very not uh, up-to-date. No, Would have no. been great in the 90s. <laughs> Agreed upon. Definitely not. A, ben Simmons is the opposite of the prototypical NBR, NBA guard. Uh, he plays more like a center that really can't score. But speaking of rookies, centers that can score and can produce for their team, uh, we're going to look at Jalen Duran or Jaron Duran. No, it's Jalen Duran. Jaron Duran's on the Red Sox. <laughs> Jalen Duran, sorry. Um, as I've been watching the Pistons a lot more than I usually have in their highlights, uh, I was really excited for this center out of Memphis. I mean, Duran has had um, – he's averaging almost a double-double through these first four games, but he's just been really a really big interior presence for that, that young Pistons team who has some really – who has some pretty good centers. But I think if they have – if they develop both – other young centers, they'll they'll have some good one-two punch out of that room. 
Yeah, having a rookie come in 6'10", 250, already has some good size on him that can compete with a lot of these other NBA bigs. You know, sometimes, you know, those taller guys, as we've seen, such as Bol Bol come in in the past few years, they need to, and I mean, even Giannis Antetokounmpo early in his career, they come in very slim. They don't have a mm -hmm. lot of weight, and they can't make that difference down in the paint that um, they can later in their careers as they put on more weight as they get older. But that being said, coming in at 250, he's put up um, 10 rebounds in two games. And, uh, I mean, that's just right off the bat, being able to dominate boards in the NBA and put up consistent boards is going to be huge, especially for this team as they uh, look to kind of figure it out. They're one of the youngest teams in the NBA, a lot of rookies on this Pistons team, as well as, you know, Cade Cunningham coming off of last year. It's going to be a testament to this team how quickly and um, how efficiently these rookies can develop. And, I mean, just having the size and um, frame to compete at the NBA at that level right away is going to be huge for them. Yeah, the size and the frame of a rookie is honestly a big thing getting looked at. I mean, I remember when Anthony Davis was going into his rookie year. I mean, no, no one really even thought he would fill out, even with Giannis, too. But... I mean, him coming in already 250 shows a lot that he can take a lot of damage in the paint. And just um, he's not playing this season because of a uh, season-ending injury. I forget why, but Chet, and, excuse me for his last name, Homridge? Holmgren. Holmgren. Um, but he was a highly touted player, but he he looks like he's, he could eat a McMuffin sometime <laughs> in the morning for sure. But so that's a good thing that, uh, being 250 already in the NBA, you could take definitely those hits and uh, bumps down in the paint for sure. I mean, and that definitely hurt Chet Holmgren. Of course, the injury might not necessarily be exactly related to his size, but undergoing, undergoing um, season-ending Lens Frank surgery before his rookie season can ever get started, talking about Chet Holmgren, the power forward, drafted second overall by the Oklahoma City Thunder, just... Uh, Bit of a, I mean, first year bust for sure. That's not what a team mm -hmm. wants out of their first year guy. But at the same time, he has a chance to get healthy, maybe even add on some weight before he makes his NBA debut, which could be huge for him. But going back to the Pistons and Jalen Duran, just how about, I mean, that's the second guy that they picked in the first round with that 13th pick. So kind of sliding down to them. So really executing off of their uh, two first round selections. Yeah, and that other first round selection, uh, Jaden Ivey. He was a star at Purdue and obviously was going to be a top five pick. And the fell to the Pistons. I mean, this draft, and it's kind of been weird in drafts this year. Like, teams that normally don't draft well have drafted quite well. Like, the Pistons this year, they've gotten two pretty good studs to add to their already young core. And if we kind of compare that to the Jets this year, they have had a good draft as well. Had three studs, honestly. I was also going to draw the comparison, talk about number five overall picks this year. You look at the um, Jaden Ivey here with Purdue, and then you look over at the NFL with Kayvon Thibodeau with the um, mm -hmm. Giants, just electric young players that can come in and be real game changers right off the bat. And both arguably, like you said, fell in their draft. They you did. know, Kayvon Thibodeau originally was going to be the number one overall pick at points during that his uh, senior college or junior, whatever, his last college football season. But on the other hand... Um, Ivy, of course, you know, could have gone anywhere in that top five and falls all the way to that fifth point or fifth spot with the Pistons and just 
early on here, he started in his first three games averaging over 17 points a game and shooting 50% from the field. And again, we talk about that three-point shot, not as much in volume, but five for 11 from three, and had a double-double against the Pacers with 17 points and 11 rebounds. Like, this guy's doing weight early and just mm-hmm. a rookie in the NFL. I was going to say NFL, <laughs> yeah. but um, in the NBA, you know, along with um, you get Jalen Duran, that he's just a huge uh, one-two combination for those two. Yeah, and I want to say his uh, the points being able to score and getting that double-double, especially when you're a rookie and you can show that you can do two, two different things to the coach, that's how you – one, stay at a starting spot, and then two, become a franchise player. Because then you just build on top of that. Your game slowly gets getting better if you have those two qualities already mastered. Then you can focus on, say, let's defense or maybe the three-point shot and yeah, improve I mean, that. If, yeah, I mean, if you're getting that double-double, all it takes is one more stat, and you're slowly turning into a triple-double king. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, that's what we could see out of some of these guys. And, I mean, just with the young talent around them, it really gives them an opportunity in the Pistons coaching staff to develop them together as a group. Like, these guys are going to get to spend a long time together. I mean, hopefully assuming that they stay healthy with the Mm -hmm. Pistons and all get along together and work well chemistry-wise. But this could be a really strong group for the Pistons going forward in their future, just off their start. Because, like you said, putting up a double-double not only as a rookie – but in your first week in the league, yeah. I mean, it, it, it puts the league a little bit on notice. Of it's course, like first three games. Yeah. <laughs> so now that you were saying about how it's kind of like building toward the future and the Pistons have all this young talent that's looking toward the future. And their first game this season was against the Orlando Magic. And as I was watching that game, that was actually the game I was most excited to watch after the opening slate. Because I think in a couple years or a little bit down the line, I think that's going to be the Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Pistons and Magic. That's I'm, I'm, that's my take right now. But wow. as I was, I mean, the they're both teams loaded with young talent, and they have kind they have one veteran who's kind of helping develop that Boban or Bogdan on the Pistons, and then Terrence Ross or whoever else on the Magic. But as I was watching that, I mean, it was just a battle of the young guys, really. And I f- I feel like the Magic always have young guys, though. Oh. Really, I mean. They've, they haven't been really able to do too much the last couple of years. It, so. I mean, yeah, but in that, in that game, they had three players who were 20 or younger score 20-plus mm-hmm. points, mm-hmm. one of them being Paolo Boncaro, the number one pick, who we haven't really seen a number one pick just flat out the gate like that because Zion was injured kind of at the beginning of his, and he kind of had a slower start. And then Cade, we, he also had a slower start. Mm-hmm. But Paolo... Right out the gate, that's the highest scoring game by a rookie since Allen Iverson. Um, 27 points, 27 11 of 18. <laughs> yeah, wow. no. That when you have a game like that as a number one pick and as a team that's looking, obviously, for, towards the future, mm-hmm. I, I, I sincerely think that he's going to be their star. And I, I, I think he will, too. I think he'll eventually grow into that. But to me, it's more so just looking at the Magic's uh, just – as a team and yeah. standpoint, I mean, I have faith in him that he will become a star. I don't know. I don't know if I have necessarily faith in the magic to become something, a ship that he can ride to, you know, to victory. 
I agree with you on that one, Tyler. I mean, like, you said the Magic haven't been good in the last couple of years. It feels like they haven't been good since they've had Dwight Howard. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a rough go of it here if you're an Orlando Magic fan. And what sucks is, I mean, that's the only team in the area. All you got is the Magic if you're in Orlando. So tough break there but you know Paulo Banchero is definitely looking like a bright spot early on has 20 points in each of the three games he's played just really showing that he can be a scorer for this team that desperately needs one and feels like it hasn't had a uh, premier scorer of any sort kind shape size form any offensive production for over a decade nearly so just uh, a great start to uh, the number one overall pick's career. And mm-hmm. I remember um, as kind of a uh, surface-level college basketball fan, I remember uh, Chet Holmgren was getting all the rage during that draft process. He was uh, sure in a way the number one overall pick. So seeing uh, Paulo Banchero go number one was a bit of a surprise to me. And I was like a bit like, oh, okay, who is this guy? But to see him come out and put the league on storm like he has in his first few games has been nothing short of impressive. I liked him at Duke, honestly. Yeah. I mean – him being coached by Coach K, arguably one of the best coaches of basketball of all time, really. So in, in his last year, you, he had to have been soaking up almost every single thing he had to say. And also, I just want to say, I, I don't think, I, don't, I haven't heard of this in a year, but I remember at Duke, he would lose seven pounds just because of sweat while playing. And so Duke had him on this special oxygenated drink, I think called Boa, which as soon as it went in his mouth, it just is weird science, but sports. It got him. It got him through the games wow. without cramping. That's that's interesting. No, definitely interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when you're with Coach K at a school like that, then you're gonna be some somebody. Let's yeah, spe- like you're gonna be prepared for the league you're at be least. Prepared. Like Zion. Like yeah. Zion really. This is his season to shine. I, it, mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, he's already injured with a hip contusion. But hopefully once he gets back, we'll see the real Zion. I think we will. I mean, if you're a real athlete and competitor, which I hope Zion is because I've seen him compete and he looks like a real athlete and competitor, you have that inside of you and you hear all those things that people are saying and you keep a list of it inside your head. So I'm really excited to see him come back for a full return. And I think he's going to absolutely light it up when he does. Definitely, and uh, I think uh, one more guy that we ought to bring up that lit it up early on this season is Keegan Murray with the Sacramento Kings out of Iowa. Absolutely um, lit up the Los Angeles Clippers in his debut in the second game of the season, 7 of 10 shooting with 19 points. Just another guy like these guys are – it kind of reminds me of the wide receiver position in the NFL right now where all these guys are coming straight out of college. Good route runners can get their hands on balls. We've seen it with Justin Jefferson – um, two years ago with Jamar Chase this last year and we're seeing it I mean just young wide receivers like Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith mm-hmm. and others really taking off around the league right now it feels like the NBA's at a point where scoring is such the name of the game that a lot of these young guys are coming into the league as just formidable scorers so it'll be interesting to track that evolution in terms of the player level of uh, contribution that they're able to make in year one as we go on yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Like, scoring is definitely the name of the game this year. I mean, we haven't – there's been a lot of high-scoring games already, and I don't know if that's going to necessarily change, especially with the talent that's come in with these rookies. I mean, 
yeah, defense. If you're a defensive player, I think that's all, that also holds a special amount of value in this league, especially someone like Giannis who can score the ball like crazy. He had 44 in like half an hour in the Bucks' second game of the season, I'm pretty sure. And he's Giannis, so he plays defense and two-time defensive player of the year. You really, if you look towards scoring being the norm, then you want then you would want to have someone who can do both like mm-hmm. like yeah kind of like a clay thompson a little bit yeah too. except clay has been able to score this season and yeah, not this season but overall as a career yeah no but i mean if we look at the nba uh like charts over the last few years it feels like defense i mean you look at the warriors in boston last year the two finals teams two of the top three defenses in the entire league like the teams that can get stops are the ones that are going on to have long-term success and late season success so i'm excited to see which one of these guys really comes out and makes a statement defensively because i mean everyone's scoring right now and that's great but i think um the rookie of the year conversation will really center itself around which guys are playing really well both ways especially since everyone's seeming like they can score this year totally agree with you yeah defense is a commodity Mm -hmm. sure so I guess flipping from just straight rookies, we're gonna lo- we're gonna take a look at the NBA as a whole. Um, I mean, this season it's off to an early start. It's off to a fast start for some teams, a super slow start for others. <clears throat> Lakers, um, Oof. they can't shoot the broadside of Oof. a barn door. With there, yeah, well, we gotta start off. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with going they, into they, that. They played on opening night. I mean, they could not shoot the ball, and they have not been able to shoot the ball. They're 11 for. 84 I'm pretty sure on three-pointers this season and in the the Blazers game yesterday I remember I saw the highlight where Anthony Davis went to shoot a three and Nurkic didn't even go in his general direction and it bricked off the backboard like not even not even the rim like the side of the backboard that's how that's how bad shooting has been in LA yeah you know I just want to say that that man Rob Palinka. He uh, exploded a team really quickly that was full, or not, I wouldn't say full shooters, but definitely surrounded LeBron with uh, shooters and spreaded the floor. And within two years, and I know this guy just signed uh, an extension with the Lakers. I have no idea how, because I know friends back home that can create a 2K team in my manager mode better than him. And he is absolutely stealing and robbing the Lakers for all their money because this team he has created with Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook, like, just to get into Russell Westbrook, he either has to have no, just from the Portland game, he has to have no basketball IQ or wants to get traded from the Lakers because when he took that jump shot up two points with 30 seconds left and 18 on the shot clock, that, that's a message right there, and it's either one of those two, and I don't know which one. But the Lakers, whew, it's tough right now. I mean, I was saying last week I think that the Lakers could be some crazy great team if Westbrook was able to figure it out with the two team and that um, that they could really turn themselves into a squad around from last year. And um, we're three games into the season, and, well, that's how that went. All three losses against, I mean, top teams in the division with Golden State, Clippers, and uh, the Blazers. But at the same time, you're you got to figure out a way to get wins if you're going to keep shoving us LeBron down our throats on national television once a week for a primetime game. 
this team has to win games. They have to be competitive. They mm-hmm. can't just be getting blown out of games and we're just watching LeBron dwindle away his career in L.A. because he gets to because he's the king. Like, it's tiring. I'm tired of seeing the Lakers. I'm tired of seeing LeBron. They haven't been good since the 2020 bubble. Like, it, there's been no success for them since then, and I know some want to claim that uh, Mickey Mouse championship with that being played in not real series in, of course, um, I mean, man, that was just a small court. They had a whole camera set up with that. That was crazy. I can't believe that existed, but, I mean, just the, obviously, like you said, blow up the shooters around LeBron, Mm -hmm. you know, get rid of Ingram, get rid of Hart, get rid of Contavious Caldwell-Pope. You just really blow up that team that was around him, and all for AD, who, yeah, like I said, gets you that one championship, but... Post that, while he's been injured and not as effective as obviously he has been in the past, and not, I mean, it just comes down to consistency with AD because mm-hmm. obviously when he's on, he's on. When he's not, he's not. This team just needs to, it lost its entire identity selling out for Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis hasn't been able to provide that identity that they were trying to find for the future of the team with him kind of being the star taking over for LeBron for the future and being that supplement player growing into the face as LeBron gets older and he just hasn't been able to live up to that expectation and I think that has to be looked at on Palenka's part as a huge colossal monumental failure he should be put on the trade block just to give him that little edge to make him feel that that taste that he might be gone you know he has been. I remember in Palinka April. should be put on the trade block. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> agree. I, I think I remember in April or May uh, this video of Anthony Davis. He's like, man, I haven't touched this rock in in a month or two. It's yeah. like, dude, if if you if you know you had a bad season coming off, you got to be in the gym every single day. You're you're in the team that Kobe just played. Like not even like yeah. ten years ago was just on, and. He had such a mindset, and you can't even pick up a rock, like for a month. Yeah, just crazy. I, that's also that's just a testament to the Lakers. I'm gonna say that's their whole tone this season. It's just no effort, mm-hmm. wanting people wanting out, people just not performing. Why well, I think Westbrook needs to get traded, like like you were saying, like he needs to get traded to the Pacers. I think we they, should cut him. I don't know about that because you can get something for Westbrook. They uh-huh. almost had a trade for Heald and Turner over the summer for Westbrook and a mm-hmm. couple picks, but no, Palika doesn't want to give up those picks. I'm just tired of seeing him play, honestly. It's just I you feel know bad he, for him. he was such a great player, and I think it's this is where it was. He had such great athleticism, explosion, and getting older. You see this in players all the time. I mean. Um, Michael Vick, he, he wasn't as explosive as he was later in his career. And you could see where players relied on their athleticism and not on the IQ of the game. And I'm not saying Westbrook doesn't have IQ, but, man, it's, it's, it's showing that it's not really top tier. No, and I think, uh, like you said, with that IQ, it's really like that mental 
effort part of mm-hmm. it. Like, the Lakers right now remind me of uh, – they're that group of kids in high school who are, like, senior year. They've done enough that they're, like, for sure going to graduate. They're going to get out of it fine. But, like, they, at this but, point, they don't care enough to put uh, in any real they're effort. They're finishing with there. all Cs. They're, they're in the back. They're doing their own thing. But what's tough about the Lakers, are they're in that part of the year where the friend group's already gone through the spring break fight and everyone's already tense with each other and no one's getting along. So mm-hmm. they're in a tough spot right now. And, you know, the crew is just, like, a couple months away, it seems like, from breaking up in all sorts of different directions before no one ever speaks to each other again and wants to bury this team in the past you know maybe it's all a scheme for LeBron to stay with the Lakers so they get a lottery pick and then eventually get Bronny Jr. so LeBron doesn't have to leave LA to go get Bronny yeah so he doesn't have to go whatever team he's a free agent uh so he doesn't have to go play in Utah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stay at home in sunny L.A. Does LeBron still hold all his offers? I don't know. Shoot. If I'm LeBron, I don't know if I want to be in L.A. But that Portland loss, yeah, that, back, was, that was sad. But also Portland, Damian Lillard has been on a tear. Yeah. He has been on a tear. 41 points. Results in only Results in only a two-point victory. <laughs> off the grace of Jeremy Grant, who they picked up in the offseason, but, like, it's Damian Lillard. It's it's his time to shine. I I feel I kind of compare Damian Lillard to Russell Wilson. Like, in the beginning of the season, <laughs> they pop off, and they're from the they're, they played in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, not, not for well, Russell no, Wilson. No, not for Russell year. Wilson. But, like, in the past, from the Pacific Northwest teams, they pop off at the beginning, and then their MVP hopes kind of die two-thirds of the <laughs> yeah. way through the season. Like, no matter how well Dame's team is doing, and he's still putting up 25, 28 points a game, mm-hmm. it's the Blazers' success that's kind of folded him. And same with well, Russell Wilson just starts to throw it Dame right to the Lakers. Dame to the Lakers, that would be insane. That was a dream, one of mine, not too well, long Lakers ago. But <sighs> I thought him instead of Westbrook would have been that final piece that they needed. It oh, it totally would have been. I think... You know, Westbrook's nearing the later stages of his career. He's in the Michael Jordan Wizards era <laughs> currently, and he's going to ride Don't this. even put that much respect on yeah, him. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of disrespect going towards Michael Jordan. I am sorry. <laughs> but he's, he's riding this one out, and who knows? Who knows with him, honestly? I'm just tired of seeing him on the court. LT with the Jets. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of random athletes that you can put with random teams. Jerry Rice with the Seahawks. Oh, my, oh my goodness. God. Joe Montana with the Chiefs. Uh, that's just, yeah, uh, that's, that's, a whole, that's, a whole, that's a whole spiral. No, let's get down. away from this <laughs> now. Let's, let's walk away from that, yeah. I mean. But, no, that Western Conference is looking tough right now, like oh, you said. Yeah. You got, yeah. I mean, the Lakers down in the dumps, obviously, but looking at that top end between, you know, the Jazz 3-0 and starting off, they always seem like they have a very strong, fundamental team, just mm-hmm. well-built from the core to start the season. And then one injury or a little There's bit of fatigue down the stretch causes it all to fall apart. But, you know, a good start is just a, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a positive note for them here to start the season. But, you know, the Suns are going to be in it. The Grizzlies are going to be in it this year. It's just the Western Conference. I mean, oh, of yeah. course, defending champion Warriors can't not mention them. It's just there's a yeah. lot of talent in the Western Conference. But, I mean, man, the NBA just parody right now. I, I mean, I we keep drawing NFL comparisons, but two leagues right now that are just absolutely loaded with talent and not all just located in one location. It's, just, it's refreshing out. to see. Yeah.
it's it's good to see L.A. not taking shine for once. Well, there is another L.A. team that could take the shine. I mean, the Clippers. Oh, have been, you're if no, no if Clippers are gonna, cursed, dude. They are. They they've yeah. never made it to a finals, and I will say that they never will. Once they move back to San Diego. No, they go. They're gonna go back to Buffalo and be the Braves. Oh, that's wow. where they should go. La- Los Angeles already has. One team. That's the Lakers, man. That's the Lakers. If you're a Clippers fan in LA, then you don't whew. exist. Nah, they're building I their stadium know. on the grave of the forum. Ah, and they're just gonna ball so, out. <laughs> so disrespectful. So I, disrespectful. I know, just for that a new curse should arise upon the team. Oh, I mean, they're this is just solidifying the curse that they're never gonna win. Because they're really in the shadows of the Lakers now playing in the forum, if you think about it. Not if they pave over it. Oh, I know. <laughs> Well, not if the Lakers are going to play like this. Hey, I, hey, there's still 17 reasons to be, a, to be a Laker fan in L.A. More than the Clippers. Oh, yeah. But That's how bad. about over in that Eastern Conference, though? I mean, I had the hot take earlier today that I do think the Larry O'Brien trophy is meandering its way back over to the Eastern Conference at the end of this season. But that being said, the Celtics are 3-0 to start the season, just as hot as they were to end last year, aside from the loss to the Warriors in the finals. The Bucks are going to be a threat as well. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you have some 1-2 and two teams right now in the Bulls, Heat, and Raptors, and the 0-3 76 Sixers who are all likely going to turn it around and pose threat. Like, th- just coming from the other side here, it's just there's no clear favorite one way or the other. The the Sixers are actually 1-3 after today. They, they, oh. Yeah. Way to go, Sixers. Figuring <laughs> it out. Well, they played Indiana. Trust that process. So, I mean. So, maybe not so much. Yeah, well, Joel Embiid's going to need to have a Joel Embiid MVP campaign. That's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Joel Embiid for MVP, possibly. Uh, I mean, if I yeah. mean, that Sixers team is going to ha- figure it out. And if Harden's yeah. going to be that second star that we all thought he was. I mean, he put up 29 today and absolutely sauced uh, Benny Matherin. Not low light for him, but <laughs> Matt, uh, Harden, Harden getting back to Harden form. And like we said, a lot of offense with these rookies. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot of defensive standouts Man, yet. that's just what the NBA is now. Uh, you you just you could tell as soon as Luca entered the NBA. I mean, he he's just a total offensive player. Yeah, just that's what that's what the this generation is. Just more offense, less defense. You could even see it with LeBron. That's how he's changed so much. He doesn't. He barely plays any defense for the Lakers. He's old. Yeah, he is old. He can't keep <laughs> up with these young stars. Oh come on, dude. He's Except he's the goat. He's the king. He's the king. He should be. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up here for this half an hour segment of straight NBA talk. Wow, what a what a great section we've had here. But this is going to do it for us and Tyler is our guest. Thank you thank you Tyler for popping on. Um that's going to do it us for uh, for us here for our first half hour. For our first half hour of the double double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Welcome back to the KJAC Double Double. I'm Evan McNeilia alongside Noah Butler. Joe Garner's joining us for this half hour as we dive into some MLB talk. Um, well, the ALCS wrapped up, Noah. Um, your New York Yankees get swept 
by the Houston Astros. An unfortunate end to what was a uh, promising season for the Yankees. You know, the powerhouse Yankees that they were this year led the were near the top of the league in slugging, home runs, and just an offensive powerhouse this year comes crashing down at the hands of an ultimate pitching weapon in the Houston Astros. I know you've got a lot of emotions going into this one, so let's hear it, Noah. How do you feel about your Yankees? Well, the Yankees. They're not my Yankees, Evan. They are the Yankees for the time being. The Yankees. The Yankees. Um, yeah, no, it's sad. It was expected. I was, as soon as we, not we, as soon as the Yankees got taken to five games by the Cleveland Guardians, I was thinking, like, no, this team is done. This team is going to get swept by Houston. It's going to be sad and annoying, and Judge is going to leave, which is what's going to happen. But, yeah, no, it's a bittersweet ending to a season that looked like it could be a World Series hope. Granted, the past couple seasons have also looked like that. But, yeah, no, typical Yankee baseball, if I'm being really, really honest. Um, Houston brought out the brooms. They swept up the away locker room at Yankee Stadium. With They swept all the beer and stuff that they have to celebrate and the confetti with the brooms that they brought. Um, and this series was really a fall of the stars of our team, or of the Yankees. Um, yeah, Stanton, Judge. I mean, Rizzo did not really fall off, but it was, it was really Judge that threw the whole series away. I mean, he struck out way too many times. I think he had one or two hits maybe during the whole series. I didn't want to put any of the games on because I knew it was going to happen and I was going to be disappointed. But, yeah, it was really a fall of the stars. Except for one... There was one, there was one bright spot of hope for next season. That's, this is the only bright spot I really have. Harrison Bader picked him up from the Cardinals midseason trade dine line. And he hit five home runs this postseason and had almost a go-ahead home run in that game four that we ended up, the Yankees ended up losing. But that's the only bright spot I can see. Um, in my opinion, the management of the Yankees has been god-awful. I mean, I'm just a little more than a casual fan, but from what I've seen, the management and the general manager have just been too passive, and they've made so multiple bad decisions. I mean, Boone with bad bullpen decisions in the Cleveland series that cost them two games and a whole lot of delay which they could have been using to heat up if they were going to go play the Astros I mean it's just too many mess ups for Boone now I think he needs to go that that he needs to I mean he came in and brought us to the postseason like I'll give him that but with so many bad decisions and so many opportunities that we that they've given him they've given him so many chances I mean he is a former Yankee but that doesn't mean anything when you make decisions like that, especially with lineups and putting in players like, sorry, Isaiah kind of Falefa, but like him, because he just could not do much this season. And that trade that we made, or that the Yankees made with the, the Twins earlier, that got them Josh Donaldson and Kiner Falefa really just, like, was not, was kind of a little lopsided. I mean, Urshela had a very solid season, and in his best season, in a full 162 games. Um, 
for the Twins. And, I mean, Gary Sanchez had two less errors as a catcher this season, which is good for Gary Sanchez, bad for Yankee fans because our catchers were just couldn't hit, and Gary Sanchez could hit. Like, it's just a lot of bad things. This postseason, the Yankees could not hit the ball, even if it was a kickball. And I know you had some stats to back that up, Evan. Yeah, the Yankees batting this postseason have been so far below par that I think it's a bit of a joke, especially coming from some of their star players. As a uh, Aaron Judge, 5 of 36 with a 139 average with just two home runs and 15 strikeouts during the postseason. I know you said struck out way too many times during that series, but again, just over this postseason has been a strikeout machine for pitchers on the other end with Anthony Rizzo was the uh, one bright spot for this team he went 8 of 29 which is a solid 276 and he also had two home runs as well as eight RBIs only struck out eight times so in terms of the Yankees stars and part of that like main core part of the lineup not the worst spot but it just goes downhill from there Stanton was 6-32, batting 188 with 9 strikeouts, and Donaldson was 5-29, of 172 with 6 strikeouts, or 16 strikeouts, sorry, more than uh, Judge. Yeah, I'd like to say that the Yankees did lose that trade. Um, Josh Donaldson, yeah, I, I would very much like Gio Urshela back, but that's not going to happen. And if you can't do math quick enough to keep up with all that, combined from the Yankees' slugging stars, a 24 of 126 of 190 with just six home runs and 18 RBIs, striking out 48 times in this year's playoffs. Just an absolute abysmal performance from a group that really needed to be the um, foundational force in this Yankees title run, but... Joe, I don't know if you got the chance to watch any of this game, these games, but seeing the Yankees this season and then just the way they come crashing down, just swept by the Astros, you know, obviously a hot team looking to um, get their, themselves a quote-unquote real World Series after the cheating allegations following their 2017 victory. But that being said, what do you make of uh, the Yankees falling in this sweep to the Houston Astros? So, <clears throat> so I only caught um, the end of game four because they got swept, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Did. I think they did. Didn't mean to hurt anyone's feelings there. Um, but I only caught the end of the game. Uh, but it's just it. they didn't look good. They couldn't hit, especially having Aaron Judge on the team. It just wasn't a great showing of what they could do. Uh, this entire playoff run that they had, uh, if you call it a run, but it wasn't, I don't know, the Yankees did not look good, and I, I don't know much about baseball or free agency if it's coming up, uh, but if a ton of their players leave, I don't know how they're going to be able to recover. Yeah, Judge could be departing following this season, which is going to be a huge blow for the Yankees. He, um, I mean, he could get up near $600 million with this upcoming contract after the season he had getting, uh, you know, of course, as everyone knows, getting over 60 home runs this season. I believe he ended with 63 on the year. No, it was 60. He almost choked 60. the 60. No, that's right. That's right. But he did get 260 and stalled out there before. I mean, I guess it. he did kind of stall out late in the season. It took him a while to yeah. get to that 60. We, I mean... If we would have paid attention to that a little bit more coming into the playoffs, I think it would have been a little bit more obvious that 
Judge could have gone on a slump there. But that being said, just a tough loss for the Yankees, and they'll really need to try and regroup and re-identify with themselves and try and find um, the direction for this ball club next year, especially if they lose Judge, if they want to end up back in this position with a shot, another shot to make it to the World Series. No, I have something to say about that 60 home run chase, too. I was talking to my dad the other day. Shout out, Dad. Um, but he was saying that the that Judge's home run push really screwed with the Yankees' mentality going into the playoffs because they were so focused, and he was so laser-focused on getting that with all everything around it that they just forgot how to play baseball. Like, I genuinely think that as well. Like, the, the Yankees just forgot how to play baseball. No, definitely. Yeah. Focusing too much on the power and just um, looking for that moonshot every single time. You lose the importance of just, you know, getting on base, taking your balls, getting um, batting runners in. Not every shot needs to be a moonshot indefinitely as he was really struggling and, I mean, pushing for that 60. It became harder and harder for him to actually achieve it. It felt it almost if he would have kept just his regular um, – flow like in regular momentum and just not overthought it that he would have been able to keep that momentum going into the playoffs not definitely now the other side of things it also got decided on the same day um phillies padres so our world series is looking astros phillies after that series i mean bryce harper legacy home run in in game five to send them to the world series essentially i know you have some thoughts about how the Padres have done this season, but they did get past the Dodgers. i got to give them credit for that. No, and I think you started off best. We got past the Dodgers, and I won't say we. <laughs> the Padres got past the Dodgers. The ultimate test, the ultimate hill that this team had to uh, face to kind of prove itself in terms of the MLB landscape. Obviously, uh, another SoCal team, NL West division rival, ultimate rival and obviously big um, money spending former world series winning it's it's the dodgers they are just like the yankees or astros in uh, the al they are that team of the nl they are the team to beat year in year out and for the padres to get it done in a year where they were a quote-unquote massively inferior team is huge for the franchise and this year without Without Fernando Tatis Jr., the Padres get past their opening round matchup with the New York Mets, who had a fire bullpen all season, which is obviously somewhere the Padres struggle mightily. And, you know, they surge through the playoffs, and they get all the way to the NLCS. And, yeah, this was a massively disappointing series against the Phillies, but if it was going to be any team to beat the Padres, might as well be, be Bryce Harper. Figuring it out in game five, sending a sh two run shot to take a lead while trailing by one in the bottom of the eighth inning to uh, send the Padres packing for the season. You know, I think it was a massively disappointing performance from some of the Padres' offense down the stretch of that Philly series, only putting up, um, I mean, they put up six games on Saturday, but you got to have the pitching help to go along with it but other than that game only 10 runs across the other four games 
not as much consistency on the pitching side, especially out of those starters. Clevenger struggled in another playoff start. It's just a little bit disappointing. The Padres are really going to need to unpack, look at this season, buy their time until Fernando Tatis Jr. gets back, and figure out how they're going to go forward. They have Juan Soto, I think, for one more year at least. So they're going to have to make the most out of this next year. And this next year really is make or break. This year was a good test year. It was a good, hey, let's get comfortable with the playoffs. We've been here. We've done this before. Next year, barring everyone being healthy, the Padres getting rid of players that aren't contributing to the team. And, I mean, they're going to have to spend some money to compete with this NL West if the Giants end up adding Judge or the, I mean, Dodgers end up adding Judge possibly, which is a rumor growing around, which would be disgusting adding just another multi-hundred million superstar to that lineup for them to, I mean, just selfish, hoarding all the talent in the league. Seriously. I mean, LA, you already have Shohei and Mike Trout in Anaheim, and they're not doing much winning for their team. The Dodgers are going to buy up the rest of the talent and still find a way to fall short to their division rival in the playoffs? I mean... <laughs> That, is that what we're looking forward to? And, I mean, I'm just happy enough I'm able to say that. But at the same time, this Padres team, they put up a fight this year. But, again, the Phillies, they're gritty. They're a tough team. They have power. They have solid pitching. They have great depth. Their bullpen did amazing this series, really shutting down the Padres down the stretch and not letting them get back into games when, you know, that's kind of – the Padres game they wear pitchers down in against bullpens late they get runners on and they smash home huge shots to get runs in huge amounts they weren't the Padres weren't able to string any of that together in this series and so they fall short and it's gonna if the Padres want to win a world series in this run over the next few years with this group that they have they're gonna need more added consistency out of their bullpen and starting pitching rotation to get them over that hump, as well as a little bit more offensive consistency. I mean, everyone needs more offensive consistency, but just with the Padres, it's they're that close in just that many areas where it's just a small couple changes could push them over that hump. But that being said, looking ahead at this World Series, Astros, Phillies. Phillies in back in the World Series for the first time in almost over a decade. Since 2009. And, the Astros obviously trying to get a legitimate World Series title, quote-unquote again, air quotes there. But that being said, Noah, which way are you leaning with this matchup? I think you can kind of gather which way I'm leaning toward this matchup. Um, uh, fighting Phils all the way. Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, they're going to, I hope, I hope that they actually figure out the Astros pitching, which has been a nuisance for teams this whole season the Astros are still undefeated in the playoffs and I would very much like to see that get snapped in game one I mean yeah I, I'm rooting for the Phillies but I don't think it's gonna go the Phillies favor so I'm gonna say I'm going for the Phillies but the I'm saying Astros in five but I mean yeah that pitching rotation's been tough Verlander on his own I mean reprising his career very late in his 30s which has been very impressive this season Whichever surgeon did his Tommy John surgery is definitely going to be charging higher rates going forward after this season in that performance. Joe, which way you lean in this World Series? Uh, that That's a tough one, but I think I'm going to have to hop on with Noah and go for the Phillies here. The way they've been playing lately in the playoffs, 
Bryce Harper, hopefully getting it together. I don't. Uh, yeah, I think I think the Phillies, but it's gonna be a tough uh, next seven games if it even makes it to seven. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a tough series as well. But that being said, I'm gonna fade both of you. The Houston Astros have found a way to shut down every team they've met in the playoffs so far. They've surged their way all the way to the World Series. They sweep their, they sweep the Yankees. So they're coming off a little bit fresher than the Phillies. So I'm going to hammer the team that's hot. I'm going to hammer the team that's consistent. I'm going to take the team that's proven in recent years that they can succeed at this level. Penna's hot, and as long as that bat doesn't cool down, the Astros are going to be walking away with the 2022 World Series. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to get into some NFL talk. So stay tuned. This has been the the double-double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Welcome back to the double-double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm Evan McNeely alongside Noah Butler and Joe Garner. And we're ready to get into some NFL talk now. This last weekend had some... Good action compared to, I mean, last couple weeks. I think uh, definitely some more marquee matchups. Thursday night football did not disappoint this past weekend with the Cardinals taking on the Saints, and that's where we're going to start today with the Cardinals getting a 42-34 to win, getting back into that win column. Now 3-4 and four on the season. Looked, um, I mean, really close game, and, I mean, it really came down to those two pick sixes in that two minute, I mean, Andy Dalton for the Saints throwing two pick sixes in the two minute drill to end the first half, and that really swung the game in the Cardinals' direction. The Cardinals didn't really do that much in the second half. The Saints really surged on as um, they tried to get back in the game, but came up obviously just short one possession on the comeback attempt in the fourth quarter. But Noah, what did you see out of the Cardinals, and do you think this uh, gives a little bit of brightness for their future going forward? Now uh, tied up with a uh, Tied 3-4, and four, the top record in the NFC West, or, sorry, second best record in the NFC West. Well, yeah, the Cardinals, I mean, 42 points, that's a lot of points for a team to put up. I mean, four, 14 points on back-to-back pick six is really kind of jump-started that team. I don't know if it necessarily jump-started the offense. I mean, D-Hop's quote-unquote revenge game, he said it wasn't a revenge game, but he's he was back after his six-week PED suspension. I'm put up 10 receptions for over 100 yards. So I'd say D-Hop's back. So hopefully for Cardinals fans, that means the Cardinals are back. But I'd like to look at that. I think that's it was the second interception, right? That that picture, that viral picture where uh, with Collins in the background, the first one, it was the yeah. first pick? Yeah, with Collins in the background just flying past the Andy Dalton that just looked disgruntled. I mean, it's got to hurt if you're the Saints. I mean, tough on Andy Dalton, too. Puts up over 350 yards passing, but has three interceptions with four touchdowns. Obviously tried to rally at the end, but doesn't really do much once you've shot yourself in the foot that early in the game. Joe, what did you think of uh, the Cardinals' Thursday night performance? Well, I think or for sure the uh, two pick sixes definitely did help them get this win. Their offense really didn't do much outside of D-Hop getting 100 yards on his 10 catches. Robbie Anderson, I don't even, I didn't see him get I think he probably did. two targets. I, I didn't see him get targeted a lot, which it's D-Hop, so you have to target him. But um, outside of him, th- th- their offense didn't do much. Their defense really helped them propel and get this win against the Saints. And um, 
I don't know if Jameis is healthy yet, but it raises a serious question. As good as Andy Dalton has been playing, which isn't superior, it hasn't been amazing, but it's been starter level. It raises a question on if Jameis is healthy, do they start him again? I mean, yeah. Andy Dalton's such a, I think, they're two very similar quarterbacks in that they're so painfully average and they're not, like, single-handedly often going to win you games, but they can oftentimes throw their way out of games with picks. And, I mean, Jameis Winston has just struggled with injuries the last couple years and has struggled with consistency that way. And, obviously, Andy Dalton hasn't really been the same quarterback since um his time with Cincinnati and the Bengals. And so it's just kind of give and take there with the uh, Saints quarterback situation. But, I mean, like I said, with the uh, NBA rookies in our uh, – first half hour with um you know guys coming in scoring in abundance early on chris olave you know seven receptions 103 yards in uh, in the game against the cardinals in the losing effort which is obviously tough for noah who just got rid of him from his fantasy team i see him making a face over there but that being said just again young guys coming in and making big differences right off the bat yeah rookies are rookies and Pretty much most of the leagues this year have been just on fire. I mean, and, and especially with in Olave's case with that breakout game, I mean, Olave's been breaking out this season, and I don't know why I pulled the, the trigger to trade him. But, <laughs> yeah, I think the Saints really need more people like him to get back on track, if they're going to get back on track, in that muddled AFC South, which Evan and I were talking earlier about how that's the new NFC East this season. If you remember, the NFC East was just awful last year. Yeah, and Joe, just to catch you up, in the first half we were talking about rookies, and a lot of these NBA rookies, they're scoring uh, lots of points early on in their first handful of games in the NBA, and just um, kind of the comparison to how wide receivers are, like rookies coming into the league, such as um, Jamar Jefferson and... Um, uh, or, uh, Jamar Chase, sorry, Justin <laughs> Jefferson <laughs> got the two uh, LSU wideouts mixed up, but um, coming in and producing early. What do you think about these wide receivers that are just coming in and they're absolute game-changing playmakers? They're, I mean, right off the bat in the league. I I think it shows a lot for these colleges too, because they're they're proving that these wide receivers that they're developing are coming into the into the NFL ready. Like, it, they're ready to play, they're ready to produce, they're ready to pop off in every game they play. It, it shows that these colleges are developing them into great playmakers. And now to jump uh, across the league a little bit to a team that has a lot of rookie and younger wide receiver talent, but none of them really seem to be doing much to help the offense. The Green Bay Packers have lost another game, falling 23-21 to to the Washington Commanders. The Washington Commanders got a win, y'all, and it was against the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Couldn't see that one coming from a mile away, but that being said, the Packers are now 3-4, and four, kind of falling below 500 in that division, matching their lowest win total with Matt LaFleur, which obviously they went 13-4 a season ago, so matching their loss total this year with obviously 10 less wins in the win column currently. And uh, long ways ahead of them. Vikings, little bit running away with the division now, 5-1. What are we making of the NFC North, Noah? The NFC North, 
Yeah, no, it's the Vikings' vision to lose at this point. Packers are reeling. Bears, even though they did get a win tonight on Monday Night Football, they're still the Bears. Down the Pats, 33-14, to 14, anyone yeah. who missed that game. Um, Lions, I that offense just died when they started playing good teams. Yeah, no, it's, it's the Vikings' division to lose. And going to that Packers game, they lose to the Commanders. Commanders started Taylor Heineke, who, if not even a couple seasons ago, was in the XFL. So the Packers lost to an XFL quarterback. Hey, put some respect on Heineke's no, no. name. Almost yeah, knocked no, Tom Brady out of the playoffs. Almost. That was a very crazy game. But the Commanders, yeah, the Commanders also have a lot of young wide receivers. Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, scary Terry McLaurin, who had a touchdown in that game. How about Dynamy Brown? Dynamy Brown. I completely forgot about him. Um, yeah, the Commanders, they really just need some quarterback play. If they get quarterback play and their defense can play well, they have – I think they could be a top seed in the NFC if they if they get a quarterback. Because their running backs, they have J.D. McKissick, Antonio Gibson, and Brian Robinson, who had a stellar game against the Packers. Um, yeah, no, the, the Commanders team, I don't think – I don't think it's a surprise that they beat the Packers, honestly. Yeah, and um, looking – Joe, just to go over to you, does this win for the Commanders speak more to, I mean, the Commanders maybe figuring a game out and just putting up a good game against a Packers team that's struggling, or are the Packers are in serious trouble and maybe down in conversations right now offensively with teams like the Commanders? I think it could be both. Um, the Commanders, they, they just got Brian Robinson back, who I, I picked up in fantasy. Too. Love it. And um, we have two Brian Robinson fantasy owners in here. Let's oh, go. yeah. Picked him up uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, their their wide receivers are finally playing like they should. Gary Terry, who's also on my fantasy team. <laughs> um, they they do need a quarterback, like Noah said. Uh, I don't think Carson Wentz is it. Obviously, he hasn't been playing as well as he could. Um I think he broke his finger, right? Or is it fractured? I can't remember. Yeah, fractured like finger yeah. right yeah. now. So he'll be out for a little bit. I think they said. I believe they put him on injured reserve, so he'll be missing at least four games. Yeah. So they'll have Taylor Heineke for the next four games at least, which he's he's okay. He's not a star, but he he's playing probably better than Carson Wentz at some times. But then moving over to the Packers, like I said last week, they need a wide receiver one. They have. Six wide receiver threes so far. They they don't have anyone to that's jumping off the the stat sheet. Um, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. They have two really good running backs, and they have a defense who they, who did get a pick six on on Sunday. But their defense may need to step up more with their star players there too. But the Packers should be in panic mode right now. The way that they have been playing the past few weeks. And I'm not saying this long term to, uh, you know, because this could go anyway, and we know these players' careers are early. But let's remind ourselves that the Packers did draft Christian Watson above George Pickens. <laughs> they could have a absolute certified playmaker out in those out in the field right now, but they have Christian Watson, who has been struggling to catch the NFL ball out of FCS North Dakota State. He's injured. I mean, and injured, so I yeah, mean... Yeah, no, he hasn't played since like the first week, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, I mean, 
and he wasn't playing well that first week no, either. Wasn't. So, I mean, Which just no production from this wide receiver core whatsoever. Which really begs the question, why did they draft him over George Pickens? Aaron Rodgers would have gotten Pickens the ball. If that's something the Steelers should try and do, because when they do, he's amazing. Okay, I know Aaron Rodgers was looking at these receivers before draft. I know he had his own rankings and opinions and feelings on them. Did he have George Pickens above Christian Watson is my question, and did he know George Pickens was available, and how did he feel about that situation? I'd love to know the insight behind all of that. Luckily, if that ever becomes a situation, we'll likely hear about it thanks to Pat McAfee. But that being said, just tough situation for the Packers right now. But moving down to another upset game, Panthers taking care of Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers 21-3. Not only has Tom lost his dignity, wife, kids, and family, but he has also lost to the worst team in the NFC South. Just an atrocious performance from the Buccaneers. No offensive consistency. Couldn't get it done on the run ground. And the Panthers, first game without Christian McCaffrey, combined two running backs, Devontae Foreman and Chubba Hubbard, 181 combined rushing yards, handling the Buccaneers on the ground, keeping clock moving, and grinding out the day in what was a great defensive performance for the Panthers. Yeah, well, also the Buccaneers also lost to an XFL quarterback, P.J. Walker. So that's two number 12 greats, Brady and Rodgers, losing two XFL quarterbacks. And this is Tom Brady's second week in a row that he's gotten upset. Last week against the Steelers, obviously, who could not run the ball nearly as well as the Panthers. But, no, honestly, this game was not on Tom Brady. This is the one time I'm going to say this. Mike Evans dropped so many passes. Whenever I tune into the game, I was expecting Mike Evans to catch a touchdown, but no. He also gave autographs to refs after the game. He also did, which the (laughs) NFL is looking into now, I've heard. Um, But Butterfingers Evans, for this last game at least, like – no disrespect to Mike Evans, but he had Butterfingers this game. I mean, yeah, how do you, how do you feel about that, Joe? Well, <laughs> what I saw, uh, going off of what you said, he dropped a wide-open 75-yard bomb from Tom Brady. Perfect ball. He dropped it. Two yards out from the, the end zone. He dropped it. And that would have, I think, that, that was before the Panthers even scored. Uh, and so they would have been up early. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't blame Tom Brady as much as I, it hates, I hate to say it. <laughs> um, but even the, the Panthers, I'm not going to say they look great, but they had no Christian McCaffrey. They had P.J. Walker. No disrespect to him, the XFL quarterback. But Okay, let's put some respect on these spring <laughs> leagues the next time they come around. We're watching potentially future NFL starting quarterbacks, and you might not know it, regardless of how bad the football looks on field. But, yeah, P.J. Walker played well. He, he got a touchdown to D.J. Moore. Um, another player I picked up on uh, Fantasy, Devonta Foreman, hey, got me, I think, nice. I think it was like 20 points. I don't know, but... Panthers just played an overall well game or a really good game against a division opponent that uh, isn't playing well, obviously. But I think aren't the Panthers like one game away from leading in the division too? 
Yeah, that NFC South's really tight. We were talking just earlier. That NFC South is actually looking like um, kind of an old NFC East division. Every team currently underneath the 500 mark and every team within uh, one or two games of one another as well. Yeah, no, looking at those division standings, I was saying last week how the Falcons could win the division. And with this game's week, even though they lost to the Bengals, who are a really good team, the Falcons are actually second in the division behind the Bucks because they have the the Bucks have the tiebreaker because of that stupid roughing the passer call against Tom Brady. <laughs> but that's enough about Tom Brady. Um, yeah, no, the Falcons. I think the Falcons can top that division. Quite honestly. No, nah, it's gonna be a battle for that uh, playoff seating down there. It'll, it reminds me a bit of the year the Panthers hosted a home playoff game at seven, eight, and one. Um, back in, I think it was 2014 NFL season, right around there. But that being said, moving on to what was probably the best game of the weekend, the most notable game of the weekend. It didn't turn out on paper a little bit more lopsided than we expected, but the Chiefs and 49ers. Mahomes puts up over 400, and the Chiefs route the Niners in a rematch of Super Bowl 54. Um, Noah. Niners pass defense get shredded. What do you make of the Chiefs uh, kind of getting out in front of the AFC West a little bit here? It's the Chiefs. I don't think there's much else you can say about that. And the Chiefs have been getting Juju involved, which is really scary because he has the most targets on the Chiefs now. And this last week he had like 130 yards and another touchdown. So when Juju actually gets to play football and be a human being, unlike he was in the Steelers, um, yeah, no, he's a really good player, and the Chiefs are really rolling and really looking towards the AFC yet again. Mahomes is Mahomes, so you can't really count him out. I mean, that team just has so much chemistry, and between everything, I, I don't know. The Chiefs are going to run away with that division. Yeah, I mean, like you said with Juju, that uh, TikTok Call of Duty COD mod drop shot <laughs> connection with Patrick Mahomes has been cooking, had 124 yards and a touchdown this pa past week. And then with MVS, I mean, adding to that offense, those two new receivers with Patrick Mahomes, he has three catches for 111 yards in the game. So, I mean, the Chiefs just know how to draw receivers open. They know how... I mean, Patrick Mahomes drops it on an absolute dime. He's, uh, I mean, as almost as perfect as a quarterback can be just out in the field the way he's able to deliver the football to his playmakers. But like you said, just kind of, the Chiefs is the Chiefs, and they look like they're going to be another top threat this year. But, Joe, how much do you make of this for the 49ers? Um, should they be a little bit worried getting a, I mean, 19-point loss, not too crazy, especially against a team like the Chiefs. But at the same time, they're in a competitive division with now the Seahawks getting out in front of the NFC West. What do you think the – or how do you feel about the 49ers going forward after that game? Well, I I don't think they should be too worried yet. I just don't think they could get started. And uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, McCaffrey didn't get the ball a lot, but he's been with the team for two days. Uh, he should wait. Um, how that, much of that playbook does he know? <laughs> Probably not much, uh, but their defense could not get going. Um, I kept hearing their names called, but for the wrong reasons, a lot of penalties against them. Um, they they just need to be able to start faster, get Jimmy G, or have Jimmy G get their playmakers the ball, Debo, Ayuk, McCaffrey now, George Kittle, I saw get a few passes. They, they just need to start faster. 
And uh, talking about running back trades, of course, you mentioned uh, CMC there. Didn't get too many touches in his debut with the 49ers. But like we said, just, I mean, two days, you know, you're not too acclimated with the team. you got to take at least a week to build up some chemistry before you become a serious part of that game plan. And, I mean, he got traded in the middle of the week, not even um, at the start or last week. It was, like, a quick turnaround for him. But that being said... That being said, um, just talking about one more running back that uh, got traded, James Robinson dipping from Jacksonville on his way up to New York to replace, unfortunately, rookie running back who was tearing it up before he tore up his knee. Brees Hall with the New York Jets went down with a season-ending knee injury, and James Robinson now with the from the Jaguars up to New York to fill that role. Joe, we know you're a resident Jaguars fan here. Didn't think I'd ever be saying that on radio. But that being said, how do you feel about, one, the departure of James Robinson, and two, what's he going to mean to that Jets offense upon arrival? Ugh, that hurt. That, that ESPN notification popped on my phone and it immediately ruined my day. Yes, we have ETN, which I love ETN, don't get me wrong, but James, undrafted free agent, Two or three years ago now, sorry, uh, who's playing amazing. Could have been one of the best duos in the league. Uh, we trade him to the Jets for a conditional sixth, which is, I, I get that he was undrafted, his season, or his uh, contract's coming up, but we could have gotten more. Uh, yes, we, it, can come, it, it can become a fifth if he gets like 250 more yards, which is going to be easy when he's, he's going to go into the starting role after potential candidate of Offensive Rookie of the Year went down. Um, but it, it means a lot for the Jets. He's going to be able to start this weekend. Um, I, I don't know who they're playing, but he, he, they have a pretty solid offensive line that he should be able to get started and um, tear up more defenses from here on out. No, nah, definitely going to be a huge addition for that Jets team going without or going down with the injury from to their starting back. Uh, needed addition for the team, especially as the trade deadline's coming up, I believe, in the next couple of weeks as we draw close. But that being said, that'll wrap up our NFL talk segment of the show. We'd like to thank Joe Gardner. Thanks so much for coming on. Hope to have you on again soon. Always a pleasure to get to talk football. We'll be back on the other side of this short break to wrap up tonight's episode of The Double Double. You're listening to KLJX LP Flagstaff. Welcome back to The Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm Evan McNeilia alongside my co-host Noah Butler, and we're here for these final 15 minutes to wrap up tonight's show. And this week is my turn for our real-life example. And actually, today I... We're actually going to be talking about someone we both are acquainted to and uh, both fairly close with. We have a good friend here, and this is a bit of a shout-out to our uh, assistant KJAC sports director, Michael Manny. He came in a couple semesters ago from Glendale Community College after doing some news reporting and whatnot there and just was very um, strong, well-versed in his work and just a consistent... uh, journalist i mean and really set his foundation to come here then in his uh second semester here at nau in his first in our uh, sports media program michael went on to uh 
I mean, blow everyone away in his first semester with his work getting involved with, uh, I think he might have only done TV and radio his first semester, but if he did do a little bit of writing, yeah, he got involved with all three, and he did well with all three and was a foundational contributor. He came second in our um, big or in our ambition awards voting for our sports media program, which is given to the um, the top uh, earning top points earning newcomer. So just very um, impressive stuff from Manny, and then. He comes back his second semester, continues to push boundaries, and he gets even more involved. He begins doing writing work as well. Him and I tackled a huge story together covering Archie Amerson, NAU's 1996 run and 97 running back, who went on to set multiple school records and absolutely torch FCS football, winning and still to this day NAU's only Walter Payton, Man of the Year winner. So we had the opportunity to talk to him and some of his former teammates from that team on a big writing project that turned out really well for both of us. And then that next semester, after putting in all that work on that assignment, which, I mean, I we don't need to get into it, but I know the work that went into getting that one story done. And he blows everyone out of the water to win our big-time award for our sports media class, which is given to the top points earner in the entire program so really sets himself apart during that time doing phenomenal baseball coverage last spring we went down to chase field in phoenix and covered a flagstaff high school baseball game against their crosstown rival coconino and through all that he was consistent the hardest worker and obviously put in the most work out of anyone last semester and is just honestly no one prouder who we'd have representing our journalism program and not anyone harder working and that has excelled at what he does. It draws one comparison in the sporting, sporting world right now and one comparison alone to mind. Looking at Man City star striker Erling Holland, who has, throughout his young career, proved himself at every level step of the way from his youth career in nor in his home country of norway where he put on where he scored 32 goals in 53 appearances by the age of 19 just absolutely setting himself apart from his peers upon stepping into a larger league he only upped his production scoring 17 goals in 16 appearance with Red Bull Salzburg of the Austrian Bundesliga. Then he takes another step up and not only again decides to elevate his level of game and play, joining German Bundesliga superpower Borussia Dortmund. With Dortmund, he goes on to score a whopping 62 goals in 67 matches, just at every step of the way, exceeding anybody's expectations for what he could do. Then this past transfer window, it's announced that Erling Holland is transferring to the Premier League. There were many questions around whether or not he'd have what it takes to succeed at this level, whether he had the physicality necessary. There was just lots of speculation around his premiere, or, or around his debut, I should say, to the Premier League. That being said, in 11 matches with the superpower of England, 
He has 17 goals. Whopping 17 in 11 matches. Just at every step of the way, Holland has set himself apart from not only who he is around, but exceeded his own expectations for himself. And going back to Michael here, he has been, like we've said, one of the most consistent contributors to our sports media program over his time. And I believe, because uh, I think we came in together, I think four semesters now in our sports media program, Michael has just found a way to consistently contribute and honestly raise the level of everyone around him. It's unbelievable. Man City has gotten off to an extremely hot start this season, and a lot of that's been behind the production of Erling Holland. In the same way, Michael Manny, just the way he tackles so many different things. We talk about him doing big writing projects and tackling big stories with big feature athletes that are historical in terms of the school here. Michael's a regular KJAC broadcaster doing play-by-play um, -play play for football, baseball, basketball, volleyball even. The man's a multi-tool weapon. And in the same way that Man City last weekend, or uh, I think it was, could have been two weeks ago now, but I believe it was last weekend, fell to Liverpool one nothing in a disappointing performance where Holland was shut down and held without a goal for the first time in a lot of games. As Like we said, he scored 17 in 11 matches. When Michael's not around... No one else is able to perform to the level that I believe that they're capable of. I think Michael is really a key in terms of our program's success in just holding everyone to a standard of level of work, dedication. He is the absolute pristine role model. He is everything anyone who wants to succeed in this field should look up to in terms of work ethic. And I think that goes the same if you're looking at soccer in the, the Premier League, Erling Holland right now is everything. He is the biggest producer for the biggest team. And what we're building here with at NAU with our local or our recent partnership with Calf Sports, broadcasting local high school football games on air and whatnot. Michael, as well as uh, Casey Everett, got to shout him out as well, have been a huge part in uh, orchestrating that with them to give us those opportunities and. I just, you know, you can't give them enough credit for what they've done and just what they mean to the people that they are around. And I think that's the connection I'm trying to make it. Holland came into this Man City team and, I mean, as good as they are, it maybe even propelled them to even higher levels. And just everyone seems to be working around him full function, full force, and it seems like everyone's on the same page. In the same way that I think that Anyone in this program would be willing to rally around Michael Manny to get anything done, no matter what it be. But <laughs> that was a bit of a longish rant there for our real-life example. Noah, does Michael Manny, in your opinion, live up to the Man City Stars comparison? No, I think you're absolutely right. There's really not much else I can say about that. You perfectly put into words what I probably couldn't have done on the spot, but... Yeah, you. Yeah, wow. I mean, another one who, another person or player who I can think of did everything. 2017 Russell Westbrook, in the same way, triple double man. I mean, did everything. Michael Manny 
let's look at three things that he does well. Hey, Ooh. all tool Pilar. Let's look all around. Tool. I mean, Mike Trout <laughs> for no, the Angels. He, he is play. that entire team, and they are still not successful. Well, is the only despair. That's not that good of a comparison, then, if you're talking about Mike Trout and winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that be true. But that being said, just an absolute workhorse of a human, an absolute role model in his field, and an absolute inspiration. To anyone in the field, Michael Manny is the Erling Holland of our NAU sports media program. But that being said, it's time to move on to our special segment, Boom or Bust. Noah Butler, why don't you start us off with tonight's first topic? So tonight's first topic, if you are a fan of any Philadelphia team, you are probably one of the most happy people on the planet, or rowdy people, because Philly fans are very rowdy. But the city of Philadelphia in the last couple weeks has just, they've had so much to root for. The Eagles are the only undefeated team in the NFL. The Phillies, they're in the World Series. That's, that's enough in and of itself. And then you have the Sixers, who kind of balance things out being one and three but they have promise if you're a philadelphia sports fan this is your time of year to be happy before the teams inevitably become philly teams um so for boom or bust i mean it's kind of i'm i'm gonna say boom on the city of philadelphia just in general in sports in general not necessarily the fans the fans, I mean, that gets kind of iffy with how rowdy and how crazy things can be with them. Um, but, no, I'm saying boom for the city of Philadelphia and all the sports surrounding Philadelphia. You know what? I'm going to kind of counter you here. The Philadelphia sports fans are, uh, like you said, a very rowdy bunch. When they have a team, when they have teams that are good, when they feel that they are justified in their winning, they are very all or nothing in their field. They are very... All or nothing in their happiness. And you know what? Guess what, Philly? You're not winning the World Series. The Eagles are not winning the Super Bowl. You're, <laughs> your Philadelphia 76ers are not close to winning the East. It's not going to happen. And with the amount, with the raised expectations of Philly fans, I am going to say all around for the Philadelphia, the phony Philadelphia fans, bust for the future okay. just because you know what you're gonna have high expectations and i know they are not going to be reached that's understandable. I, that's understandable but going to our next topic this week the los angeles chargers suffered some more injury catastrophes losing jc jackson likely for the season with a dislocated kneecap as well as um, uh, Mike, who, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Williams, Williams for with the high ankle sprain, which will be a few weeks. Now, going back through the season for the Chargers, week one and two were the weeks that Justin Herbert got a little bit banged up, and he dealt with a rib injury for that first start of the season. Then you deal with the Keenan Allen injury also following week one, and he just made his return this past week. Then you lose Mike Williams, and he goes down. And then you look on the defensive side of this, the ball and you have Joey Bosa out with injury as well it's not 
it's gloom and doom right now for the Chargers. And, you know, this is a team that with the offseason moves that they made and the guys that they had, the expectations were so high. And guess what? For no reason, the Chargers never perform up to expectations. Every time the Chargers are hyped, every time the Chargers, oh, they, they look like a playoff team this year out of the AFC West. Oh, man, they have a real shot to do some damage this year. It never pans out. And you know why? Because the Chargers are a joke of a run organization. This rest of the season might as well be a bust. I don't even feel like turning on another Chargers game this year due to the terrible, terrible manage. It feels like, you know, with the amount of injuries we have, it, you can't help but put it on the training staff a little bit. How are this many star players this worn down and this injured this early in the season? It is unexplainable. The Chargers should bust the rest of this season. There is no reason to be hyped or high on this team whatsoever. This offensive line is still in shambles. Without Rayshon Slater, it is nothing. Justin Herbert has no time. The offense shows no ingenuity. It, it, Brandon Staley is so inconsistent with his calls that I don't think this team can pick up his vibes. It is just rough. And that being said... Um, no, I, I just, I have to go bust on the Chargers. I'm going to completely agree with you, Evan. Um, the loss of Mike Williams, who is also on my fantasy team. That, that, you know what? That team is a bust, too. But the Chargers, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say bust on the Chargers. You really touched on everything that was kind of a bust about them. And their training staff, I mean, that's the reason you have Justin Herbert as your starter, but it's also the reason everybody else isn't starting. So, bust. So, our next topic, and... Most likely our final topic of the evening. Um, let us, let's talk maybe about a little bit college football. Um, NCAA college football coming back as a video game in 2024. Uh, hasn't been a video game since NCAA 14, but now EA can't use. I think they can't. Actually, no, they can't use the NCAA. Well, they had to stop using they the NCAA stopped. due to licensing rules, but recently they've been able to reach gruel. Uh, agreements with individual schools and that could or could not extend to individual athletes that is yet to be seen but we won't be getting a full spread of teams for the game like the full 126 that were featured at the fbs level in ncaa football 14 but that being said we're getting a college football game back we're for the first time in a decade and yeah, that's coming out next summer, so we're a little bit ways away right now. But Noah and I recently getting into some NCAA 14 action, so sparked the conversation. Do you think this game is going to live up to the hype and expectations? I think if it retains the core game modes, like the, I don't know, the ones that let Dynasty, you... Dynasty. Dynasty. Yeah. Road to Glory. And lets you create a team. So say your college isn't in the game, like NAU probably will not be. But say you hasn't can, been since 06. Hasn't. Say you can create a team like NAU and have other schools, then I think the game will be very robust, especially with the community and how big it is. So I don't know about you. I'm going to say boom preemptively, very preemptively, because it comes out in July. But I'm going to say boom on this game because it's, it's been a long time coming. Going to go with a boom and then about eight sets of ellipses and then a question mark. <laughs> With this one, just because, like you said, they have to hit on the game modes. It's going to be important that Dynasty 
is huge in hits. The recruiting aspects of the game are going to be huge. We're going to have to focus, or they're going to have to hit with those as well. Their play now mode is going to have to be there. The online as well as the customizability just because the lack of teams in the game or lack of complete teams in the game. So it's really going to come down to a lot of different things. So boom, question mark. Hope this goes well, but that will be the end of tonight's Devil Devil for Noah Butler, Joe Garner, Tyler Murphy, we'd like to thank you for listening to tonight. Uh, listening to tonight's double double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Have a good evening, everybody.